Well, welcome back, everyone, to another fantastic and hopefully exciting and interesting episode of Right Down the Street. Uh, my name is Brian Barnett. I'm the mayor of the incredible city of Rochester, Michigan, and your host for uh, this podcast today. You know, Right Down the Street is a podcast uh, uh, that celebrates the ideas, the perspectives, and the passions of the people in our greater community. And it raises our collective awareness of those folks that live generally right down the street. We've told some really interesting stories, met some incredible people, and today is certainly no exception to that list. Uh, today, I'm really honored to welcome uh, here to uh, right down the street, uh, Rochester Hills resident, Chris Palazzolo, the president and CEO of Ascension Genesis Hospital and Ascension Providence Rochester Hospital. It's probably tough to get all of that on your card. Uh, Chris has more than 40 years of executive healthcare experience. Prior to serving Genesis, he served as CFO and COO of Ascension's St. John Hospital and Medical Center and a senior vice president and CFO of the Detroit Medical Center. So incredibly impressive track record of, uh, of being uh, one of the most engaged people uh, in healthcare in Metro Detroit. Incredibly impressive. And we're really honored to have you, Chris. So welcome to the program. Thank you, Mary Barnett. It's a pleasure to be here. Look forward to our conversation. Now, uh, obviously, uh, Chris, so many things to talk about. Uh, I mean, the the you know just uh, kind of coming on the edges of uh, of hopefully the close of this pandemic with what's happening in the uh, uh, the healthcare industry. Uh, uh, it has to be. Uh, I'm going to use the term exciting uh, to be in leadership in healthcare at this time, but. Uh, 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 give us a, a little bit of your perspective. I mean, it's been one of the wildest rides in healthcare over the last year and a half. Uh, what have you learned? Well, I think learning has been um, an attribute that uh, and a skill set that we've had to deploy over the last 15, 16 months. Um, and, and you're right, you know, when you, when you come up uh, against a, a hundred year pandemic, um, the opportunity to do something different in your career certainly. Uh, presents you uh, presents to you up up front and personal. So I, I would I would say that you know we have been through three distinct surges in this uh, COVID pandemic. The first of which was again probably the the biggest learning opportunity and the coalescing of resources than than the others. The other two, the third of which we just came off of, uh, were more challenging because we kept our hospitals open for business, if you will. And we had to really address all the healthcare needs of, of our collective communities. Whereas in the first surge, we basically shut everything down as did uh, the rest of the state. So we had uh, resources, labor resources available to redeploy, if you will. But um, I, I would say the, from both a clinical standpoint, from an operational standpoint, from a hospital incident command center, it was very dynamic. Um, you know, we were blessed to be part of a, a large health system that can deploy those resources and can assure timely decision-making uh, that, that optimized our, our care model wherever possible. So it is unique. It is not uh, obviously anything anybody's been through. Um, I will say there's been some, some learnings uh, over this period of time, probably the most significant of which is you can um, deploy and make decisions much faster than the, than the traditional committee structure approval process that goes on in, in large hospitals as well as industry in general. So fast tracking decisions, getting available information and reacting accordingly was, uh, was something that we all learned during the pandemic. 
you know, one of the things that uh, I think many organizations and people in leadership learned was, you know, how important collaboration was and, and making sure that you had a strong team, certainly going in, but a team that you can count on. And, and I want to let the, uh, uh, the folks uh, listening know that you were one of the people that I leaned on. Uh, soon after the pandemic started, I called together a group of uh, community leaders, uh, the hospital, the library, the, the school districts, uh, our senior center, uh, our recreation providers, universities, and we called uh, and spoke every week um, uh, on Friday about what was happening. And oftentimes you would lead those calls, Chris, with kind of the, the first, in, you know, the, the, the most important information, what was happening at the hospital, what was occupancy doing, what were you seeing at the very front end, and then we'd all talk. Uh, and try to make sure that uh, all of our teams were working together. I want to thank you for, for being a part of that. Our group still meets uh, monthly uh, to, to make sure we're walking in lockstep, but uh, I think one of the great lessons learned was, was collaboration, and one of the things that we would ask each other uh, was really simple. How you doing, and how's your team? And I guess now, uh, you know, 14 or 15 months later, Chris, how is your team? So as you'd imagine, the, the staff, the frontline staff um, have gone through a lot and they're tired. Uh, we have been very purposeful and intentional in, in giving them as much time off now that our, our COVID census levels have declined. So the, the, the challenge for us has been self-care for our associates, for our, all of our associates for that matter, um, and giving them time with their families, which you know frankly requires us to to get some outside resources to backfill them. And healthcare, like all other industries, is, is suffering um, from a labor perspective, a labor shortage. But our team is resilient. Um, they gained great confidence, I would say, especially during the, the vaccination period. Um, those months of, of January through March, which are before the third surge, but part of, part of a recovery process from the previous surges gave hope. You know, as, as we said, it was a shot of hope. And, and people started to see that um, we'll, we'll get through this, it'll take the collective efforts. You know, the, the other thing, when you talk about collaboration, this was not just um, a very parochial perspective. The hospital systems um, often communicated daily, the chief medical officers, what are you seeing? What are your treatment protocols? And obviously in conjunction with the state of Michigan and the health department really worked to get together in that sense. This was not, a competitive environment at all. This was, let's get through this and we'll do it together. Chris, was there a moment, and we'll pivot from, uh, from COVID here in just a minute, but having a chance to hear from, uh, from someone like you with, with such a unique perspective uh, is pretty interesting. Was there a moment that you recall, you know, maybe in, in late March or early April last year, where you walked through the hospital or you got a piece of news or you just saw, saw something and you said, wow, this this is real, this is different, um, that just kind of sticks in your mind? Um, there were a couple of, of, of very sad instances of that. I mean, there were 62 straight days um, in March and April and a little bit in May where everybody worked every single day, uh, 12 to 15 hours with no breaks. And when our ICUs filled, and our ability to, to handle the severely ill, and we started to have concerns about running out of equipment, that was a moment in time, because we didn't know how it was gonna end. The numbers were continuing to, to go up and up and up. Uh, obviously, the, the, the news nationally um, was very, very dynamic and changing and evolving, and we didn't know where it was gonna end. So we were making contingency plans 
to turn parts of our hospitals into uh, acute care settings uh, in a manner that they have never been used in, in that manner before or in that way before. So where were we gonna get beds? Where were we gonna get equipment? How are we going to, we were projecting our censuses were gonna double from what they were. Fortunately, they didn't. That was a, a big aha moment that we might not be able to handle this. And people who would otherwise survive are not gonna survive. Yeah. I can tell you from, from our perspective, uh, it was fantastic to have such an engaged leadership team. And uh, you know, we, I, I had to get several rapid tests. And of course I uh, came down with COVID during a, 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 a portion of last year. And, was treated at uh, Ascension, and so I can I can tell you firsthand that uh, uh, that your team was was ready. They provided uh, calm. They provided uh, expertise, and and really, we're blessed to have a, a hospital system like yours uh, right here in in the city of Rochester Hills, four times just like this. So, on a personal note, I want to thank thank you, and then on a general note, uh, like I said, the the inspiration. I know there's times uh, uh, when, when I think day after day, people would donate food and they'd bring it in to support the first responders. And we had a parade of, of first um, responder vehicles that went through to encourage uh, uh, your team working. And we put signs in the lawn. And it was nice to see that part of the community recognize the service as well. Yeah, it's certainly our privilege in, to, to serve. And the, the outpouring of support from the community was was unprecedented and and food was at the top of the list we did get a lot of food and there were a lot of hungry mouths to feed and very appreciative staff that's for sure well let's let's uh let's take a a turn here for just a moment and 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 instead of looking backwards on on healthcare, that's let's look forward as some some interesting news uh recently here even in the state of michigan with uh two of your large uh, competitors uh announcing a, a merger and and uh, for you, that has to have a certain reaction. I think for the general public, it's kind of a, it's a confusing story. It's, uh, it's sort of like the, uh, the banks that come and go and merge and change colors and names. And, and, and you always wonder at the end of the day, what, what is the real impact or change to, uh, to healthcare for the, the average citizen? Um, you know, th there's hardly an election where healthcare isn't the signature issue. There's hardly a, a family that uh, before they think about retirement, try to figure out exactly what healthcare is going to mean and what it's going to cost and what it's going to do. What are the big trends in your industry? Where do you see this going? How do you react to mergers like that? And, and what does it mean to, to everyday people? Well, it's interesting that the, the trends and where we're headed, where the puck is going, as they say, in, in, a, in a large part is predictive of, of some of the merger discussion you see. So, our, you know, the two health systems that, that uh, announced today are both very high quality systems, regionally based, meaning they're, they're in the state of Michigan. And I would say those types of, of, of merger opportunities um, have a, a larger chance of success. It's not the first attempt by one of those two systems to have a merger, in some cases, outside the state. But you hear the phrase, uh, we're building scale. That's certainly part of it. That's, you know, developing an opportunity to reduce your your overhead or your operating costs in a manner that's more efficient, but it's it's really more, more about access to population, to lives. So our payment schema um, is, is in, some, in some respects moving quicker than folks expected to a, what we call a fee for value rather than a fee for service. Fee for service is the, the classic episodic payment. You have a procedure, the hospital gets paid, the physicians get paid. It's, it's very uh, oriented towards um, an event. 
you know, fee for value is really, can we reward our practitioners, our physicians and our hospitals for keeping people healthy? So to keep people healthy, you know, not only do you have to have scale across your operating um, entities, your hospitals, your ambulatory sites, your physician offices, but you have to have access to that population that requires that care so you can build mass around that. And there are some economies of scale associated with that. This is kind of the insurance business piece of this, right? So insurance companies uh, largely like to insure larger populations to spread the risk. So as health systems move more to the front of the line there um, towards uh, an insurance product, the two hospitals that um, discussed uh, or, or announced their intent to have merger talks today, there's an insurance product that can be used to wind that, um, those two hospital systems together with the given population. There's enough disparity of, or a geog geographic disparity between those two systems. So there's not redundancy. And so your, your, your opportunity to, to create um, energy and focus around unique lives is greater than if they were all in the same geography. So it is, it is a trend um, that has had many lives. Um, keep in mind, there were back in the 80s, 200 independent hospitals in Michigan. Uh, there are no, uh, literally no independent hospitals left in Michigan. They're part of a system. And there's about six or seven systems that those hospitals belong to. So again, that, those, are, those kind of changes took 20, 30 years, but they were born out of uh, in, independent standalones like other industries can no longer survive on their own. You need, you need mass, you need scale. Talking with uh, Chris Palazzolo, the uh, CEO uh, and present CEO of Ascension Genesis Hospital and Ascension Providence Rochester Hospital. Of course, have a, a little more affinity for uh, the location here in, uh, in Rochester Hills. Uh, uh, of course, I'm Brian Barnett, Mayor of the City of Rochester Hills. You're listening to Right Down the Street. You know, you talked, Chris, about uh, keeping people healthy and um, we got to make a, a pretty fun announcement uh, uh, earlier uh, where we talked about, uh, hopefully, uh, your, your incredible investment uh, into helping keep people healthy and a new partnership with uh, Innovation Hills here in the city of Rochester Hills. Uh, talk a little bit about that, uh, why that made sense, and uh, uh, certainly uh, we greatly appreciated it, but uh, uh, talk to us about why uh, that aligns with, uh, with what you're doing out there at Ascension. So it, first of all, it was our privilege and we were delighted to have the opportunity and our foundation uh, for years uh, it, prior to even Ascension's uh, ownership of what was then Crittenden has had a significant outreach and interest in the community and the health of our community. And so in, in keeping with really what we just talked about, and that is opt, at, at some juncture, optimizing the health of a community will have not only the the benefits to the population we're privileged to serve, but there'll be economic gain to and sustainability in the, in the models as we develop it. So something like Innovation Hills, which gives us really a tentacle into the community for programmatic um, sessions, for opportunities for education, and frankly, the, uh, enhance the activeness of our, of our citizens, that all serves us well. Those are, that's a population we take care of and it's just a small part, I understand, but it's a small part of keeping our community healthy. And keeping our community healthy is very in line with well, where healthcare is going. You know, we're not, we don't wanna be sick care anymore. We wanna be healthcare uh, and, and, and really um, be rewarded for keeping people in that, in that vein. So 
again, consistent with the new economic paradigm, as well as being good community partners um, and having an ability to reach out. And, and, and I will say there, since our, our, our press release uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, there's been a lot of conversation in the community and people are thankful and they, they recognize that Ascension Providence Rochester Hospital is someone who has uh, interest in the community, is going to be in the, in the community, and um, our interests are aligned. Yeah. Well, on behalf of our, our, uh, our 75,000 residents in our city and the many, many more communities that have enjoyed Innovation Hills and Will, uh, we're grateful for the, uh, the half million dollar contribution. Uh, now the uh, boardwalks out there are the officially the Ascension Providence Rochester boardwalks at Innovation Hills. Um, it costs us most of that money just to make up the signs to be that long, um, but uh, uh, it's a tremendous, uh, tremendous gift, tremendous partnership. We're grateful for it too. And uh, uh, if you haven't been out to Innovation Hills over uh, uh, off of uh, uh, Hamlin Road near Adams, we invite you to check out the, the uh, partnership and the, the really beautiful place we have out there. Let me ask you a question, Chris. Um, obviously, as a, as a leader, uh, you know, you've got... Uh, uh, a few thousand employees. Uh, I imagine you study a little bit of leadership or have leaders in your life or in your past that have made a difference. Any, any folks stand out, any, any styles that you, you try to replicate or people that you appreciate in terms of leaders? You know, it's a great question. And, and often people ask me similar questions, you know, who was your, your, the leader that you're most fond of? And, and, and frankly, I, I believe there's opportunities to learn style from, from all of our leaders. I had, I've had a few, and one of, one of whom is uh, a, a fellow mayor of yours, um, Mike Duggan at the Detroit Medical Center, who, so what did you learn from Mike? Mike is, is, is big on accountability. And so preparation, he was, and has been incredibly prepared. Uh, he knows his adversaries, he knows his competitors, he knows if he's going in for a big ass to a committee the next day, he does his research. So preparedness and accountability are two things I, I would have learned from, from Mike um, in my past. Uh, it, you know, two other leaders in, in, in the Ascension world, my early days with Ascension, at a CEO by the name of Mark Taylor. And, and Mark was a big process improvement guy. So really understanding organizational development and structure and the cascading of workflows and work streams, how to put it together and how to move, move work in a manner that's systemic and long lasting. So, you know, kind of a, a Six Sigma approach to, to life in general. Um, more recently, uh, Gwen McKenzie was the market ministry leader for Ascension Michigan. So she was effectively the CEO of Ascension Michigan. And uh, I learned uh, compassion and integrity, I think, uh, or two hallmarks of, of Gwen's leadership style are her personal interest in people, particularly physicians. You know, she's the kind of person that when you, you meet her, you, you feel like you're the most important person in her life. Um, and, and so those three, I, I think, um, provided perspective. They're dramatically different people. Uh, they happen to be probably the three that I've had most recently. So I don't know if that had something to do with um, my remembrances of them. Uh, but I, I do like reading books about leaders in the past. And I've, over the years, you know, read uh, George Bush's book and Obama's book and going way back, Iacocco and Jack Welch and Alan Mulholly. All of them, I think, you know, have 
opportunities, you have opportunities to understand their style and their effectiveness and try to take little tidbits of, of what they were and incorporate into my, my small world. Did you ever write a book, Chris? No, I, you know, I, <laughs> I had a medical experience of 10 or 11 years ago and I was on the other side of healthcare for a good bit of time. And I took a lot of notes in terms of opportunities for improvement in this business. And uh, people often, often say I should uh, write a book. Maybe when I retire, I'll do that. <laughs> I've, uh, I've thought about writing a book. I'm just not sure anybody would ever read it. So I, I imagine I just will tell stories instead. <laughs> I'll buy it. I'll buy it. <laughs> I, uh, I, I wonder, Chris, because I don't know, uh, actually, and, and by the way, your list of leaders is impressive. I've had the privilege to work with uh, Mayor Duggan on quite a few issues and, and Gwen McKenzie as well um, in uh, her, uh, her work here in the community uh, a few years back. Uh, really impressive people, both of them. You know, speaking of the community, Chris, you you uh, live here uh, in Rochester Hills, work here in Rochester Hills, one of those enviable people that has, a, like myself, about a mile and a half commute. Um, why'd you pick Rochester Hills? You probably could live anywhere you want. So, so that's, that's actually a really interesting question that has a couple little tentacles to that one. So you're right, it's a short drive to work. It, it, when I'm going to Rochester, when I'm going to Grand Blanc, it's, you know, 40 minutes away. But um, so it does have its, I tend to spend more time in Rochester, Rochester Hills. So believe it or not, um, my wife and I met uh, in 1976. I just graduated um, from college and my first job was at the then Crittenden Hospital, believe it or not. And so my wife and I met at Crittenden and I had an apartment in, um, in Rochester Hills, very close to the hospital. And her family, um, lived in in Rochester Hills so we were we were ultimately we were married in 1980 we lived in Birmingham for eight years and then in 1988 we moved to to Rochester Hills so a lot of that was was family driven I'd only worked at, at, at the then Crittenden for a couple of years and then went on to other locations but uh, in addition to the family here uh, I would say watching what Rochester and Rochester Hills together are now compared to the to the early 80s is pretty dramatic. I mean, it's a very vibrant downtown. It has beautiful residential communities. Uh, you have access to natural resources um, and, and, and frankly, uh, an opportunity to, to have a diverse, uh, diverse neighbors and a population that is that makes it interesting. Uh, both our boys graduated from um, Adams High School. So fabulous schools from, from start to finish that serve them well and uh, participated in, in, in sports. And those are you know, arguably the greatest days of our lives were those kids going through school and the sports uh, teams they were on and the families we got to know. So, so the interesting circle of life is like I come back and my wife actually has been a volunteer at uh, Central Providence Rochester for a number of years. And uh, when I was given that additional assignment almost four years ago now, um, it was kind of the full circle for me to come back to to that that site that I started uh, work my career my working career in 1976. That's interesting. I never I never knew the roots went back uh, went back yeah. that far. You have you have seen uh, a lot of changes. What's when you when you do travel around or you're trying to 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 maybe recruit physicians or folks to to be in this area. What what's the what's the one thing you sell them on? Well, I tell you, it, it doesn't take long to sell them. Um, first of all, they've done their homework. People do their homework now. They look at. Rochester, Rochester Hills, Oakland County. They they look at the housing stock. They look at the, the services. They look at the universities. They look at healthcare, um, and it really goes in, it, to the point where it sells itself. Um, 
And, but what we try and tell them more than anything is it's, it's a family oriented um, village at the end of the day. And the first thing on that list is schools. Um, and we've got a wonderful school system, a great school superintendent, and everything else drives off of that um, because the residential communities are proximate to those schools. Those are lovely. And again, you, you've got access to um, not just uh, freeways, but parks and services uh, that really are across a wider span than just Rochester and Rochester Hill. So it's conveniently located to other locales, I guess would be um, another attribute, but it, it, I'll tell you, it sells itself pretty quick. Talking with uh, Chris uh, Palazzolo, the uh, president and CEO of uh, at least the one we, we would like the most, Ascension Providence Hospital of Rochester. Um, Chris, what is, the, uh, what is the biggest misconception about healthcare in America? I'd say the biggest misconception is um, that hospitals are economic engines and make a ton of money. And, and largely that's driven by uh, fee schedules that are inflated and not reflective of what we get paid. I mean, our hospitals are in the two to 3% margin a year. So our operating margins are two to 3%. Um, and that's generally a pretty good year. Obviously, this past year, they were nowhere near that as we suffered significant losses despite uh, additional funding from the government. So there is this perception that um, we, we make a lot of money and that we're less engaging than we need to be. Some of that has to do with how, how the revenue cycles are structured and the fact that you your consumers aren't first dollar paying. You have an insurance company for the most part uh, in between you and the patient. So adjudication of claims becomes very confusing. Uh, healthcare is, is A, um, decentralized to the point where we have to do a better job of, of putting the glue together and making it more seamless. So our, um, our patient base believes that they're just a number and they're not connected. So we spend a lot of time to dispel that misconception. And our patient quality and patient experience and safety are the top tenants of what we do. Um, people say, well, it's gotta be financial too. If you do those others correctly and appropriately, the finances kind of take care of themselves. But I would say that's the biggest misconception. You know, I, I had the privilege of serving on uh, the hospital board here uh, for almost nine years, and that 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 was a real eye opener. If you if you miss that, you know, hospitals operate on two to three percent margins, and I think most people, you know, their experience might be they have a procedure and they get a a, a five or six figure you know bill, and they think, oh gosh, uh, you know, it's going to all these wild things. Um, but yeah, having seen and trying to understand running a city budget, and then seeing what a a, a hospital system budget is. Um, there's a lot of tough decisions. What 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 lines do you want to be in? Some lines are, um, are are more profitable than others, but you can't just do those lines. You have to be a, a full service provider. So while you know you know having a newborn care is you know is a specialty of some places, and I mean it's just it's a really wild science to to try to figure out how you how you capture market share and and maintain a reputation. It was it was very interesting. It was really probably the most challenging board I ever served on was serving on the, the board there at the hospital to try to figure out how to 
how to provide some kind of guidance when you don't have a medical background. So I can appreciate that. And you're right. I think most people knew uh, the challenges of, of the profit margins being so tight, they probably would view healthcare a little bit differently. Agreed. And, and again, there's multi layers to it. So all of our physicians, independent physicians are, are little enterprises in their own right. And, and they have business models and they have incentives that um, really drive them towards clinical care, but also they have to stay in business. And uh, it, it, it's, it's complicated. Everybody says it's complicated. It is. I do think as we move towards a new environment of fee-for-value, it may get a little more, a, a little more understandable because our incentives will be aligned. Sure. Well, let's get away from the complicated uh, okay. and ask a couple of questions just, to, just so we can understand a little bit more. Uh, this weekend, Chris, uh, when you uh, aren't in the hospital, uh, what are you doing? What, what is your, what's your pastime? What do, where do you relax? What do you, uh, what do you enjoy? Well, that's an evolving question, I might say, as well. You know, I, I tell people I'm kind of a born-again bore. I don't, really don't have a lot of outside interests. You know, clearly when the, when the kids were school age and going through high school, or we were big into, into family life and watching them. But um, I, I am a, a big outside guy in terms of gardening, um, working around the house. I uh, come from a, a, a family of uh, construction-based um, uh relatives and so I, I did learn a little bit along the way so i'm a fairly handy guy around the house and so i like projects sometimes i bite off a little more than i can chew and again there's there's uh plenty of resources and opportunities in rochester hills to avail yourself of the supplies that are needed i mean how many trips to home depot can you make in one weekend is i think <laughs> my record is is six but uh so that's a, that occupies a good bit of time um, we have not, as a, as a husband and wife, been outside uh, visiting anybody for a couple of years for obvious reasons. So we're looking forward to uh, getting out and visiting our, our one son who lives in Salt Lake City um, and other relatives in Colorado. So you know, that, that's what's on the horizon. I do like to read, uh, largely because it puts me to sleep. But it takes me a while to get through a book, but that's another hobby that I enjoy. <laughs> that's good. Well, I should ask you because uh, I, I probably know your answer to this, but uh, uh, if, if you live in Rochester Hills and you like gardening, um, are deer a problem here? Yes or no? <laughs> yeah, the deer, it's its deer 10, uh, Lisa and Chris is zero right now at our house. So uh, it is it is a never ending um, battle. Uh, this year, it's also geese too. So. We're having our we're having a, a good year in that respect. You figure out the solution for uh, for that. I'll uh, uh, I'll hire you part time here at the city. Let me I ask picked, you. Let I me ask you. A, did you find it? Is there a trick? No, I picked up a few tips from you at Innovation Hills there, um, with the with the geese, uh, the plantings, and the the fencing for the deer. So I might I might construct something in that regard. Yeah, we do have uh, we. Yeah, I mean, as we we do have our fair share of deer, and we have learned over the years. Uh, we have some professionals here that have, you know, through trial and error, figured out a few angles and a few colors and a few, a few tricks of the trade that are, are helpful. So uh, uh, we, we, we might have a slightly better score, but I think we're still probably losing here too. It's uh, maybe a little more even, but I don't, you know, I don't think if I had this record, I'd be a manager in baseball too long. You know what I mean? Listen, uh, Chris, one, one last question. We ask all our guests this question and it's kind of a, an interesting one. Um, but if you could have lunch with anyone, uh, alive uh, or deceased, um, who would that person be? And just as important, because it's interesting, where would you go eat? Well, that's a really good question. Um, 
you know, I would say um, I'm fascinated with um, national politics. So really any of the recent presidents dead or alive would be someone I would choose. Uh, again, I just finished uh, Obama's book. So I've, you know, my top of mind was I wouldn't mind having lunch with, with him um, and kind of pick his brain um, just to kind of understand the challenges he had uh, in his um, kind of his his tenure in in the White House, so and I would go to some high powered broker um, place in in Washington D.C. that um, all the yuckety yucks go to just to be seen. So I just think that would be kind of a cool environment to be in. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, that's. Uh, um... That's that's an interesting one. I I, I wouldn't mind uh, being a table close enough to hear as well. Uh, so if you have a creeper, turn around. It's it's probably me. Okay. <laughs> hey Chris, listen. I, I want to thank you uh, for for being uh, uh, generous in so many ways. Generous with your knowledge uh, as you went through a, a a pandemic. Generous with your your resources and and, uh, and and talents as you helped us with the with Innovation Hills and generous with your time today. Uh, as you gave us a, a little bit of a peek into uh, what it's like to to run a hospital uh, or two, and 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 what it's like in leadership during a, a crisis, uh, uh, and certainly one of the most important industries in the world, and that being healthcare. And uh, so, thank you for uh, spending a little time with us today. My pleasure, Mary Barnett. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for the opportunity. And thank all of you for listening. We appreciate you. Uh, uh, We'll be back uh, with more exciting guests, uh, people who live, work, and play, uh, and make our community really interesting and a fantastic place to live. Those folks living right down the street. Thanks again, uh, Chris Palazzolo, for joining us and for all of you as well. We'll see you real soon. Take care.